Alex, you're you're a little hard to hear, my love. Are you in France, Troy? I'm in France, yeah. I'm in Paris. 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 Uh, what are you doing in Paris, Troy? I'm here for some meetings. 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 Wow. Oh. Secret meetings? Well, I mean, not really, but I mean I don't feel the need to discuss them with you. <laughs> All right, should we get started? Troy liked his thing where he starts talking to us and we don't have a cold open anymore. Remember? All right, Troy, story time with Troy. I just think it's such a weird time in digital media just because nobody knows what to optimize right now. The only lasting owned distribution point has been it's just not working for people, which is the web. With that, you have deteriorating yield on programmatic. Media buyers don't want to buy direct from you anymore. All the old tricks around content marketing and grouping in social to what you're selling and all that still, I think, produce stuff, but it's harder than ever to sell it. And if you're a video-oriented media company, you still face all the challenges of not really having a reliable distribution point. So some people can try to make money off YouTube, but everybody knows how hard that is. Packaging up a fast channel is, I think, increasingly competitive and difficult, and you have to have a whole lot of video to make sense of it. Instagram and TikTok and stuff aren't real publisher-friendly from an ad product perspective. So it's it just feels like a really difficult in-between time. Is that new? Hasn't publishing for a generation been leaping from one burning platform to the next burning platform, trying to stay ahead of a lack of measurement? And then the measurement catches up, and they're like, shit, we got to find some other hustle. Maybe it's true, except that I think before the web was at least some kind of ballast in the business. I believe that the whole kind of internet marketing system on the open web is being rebuilt around affiliate, but that's maybe a topic for another day. We could go into it a little bit now. You sound well, down, Troy. I do. Yeah. Take a drink of your beer. <laughs> no, not, nothing like a hotel room Heineken. I do feel it's different where if you're a publisher today, where do you decide to invest and innovate or how do you organize your company around stuff? If you look at where tech is going, you might want to put some money into AI and then potentially just accelerate your demise. I wouldn't know where to start if somebody asked me. It does feel like wait and see and watch as all your kind of income streams start getting eaten up by something else. This is a depressing episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is our last of us the last of media <laughs> some cordycep growing around buzzfeed it's exciting for new companies i think troy's representing some of the old companies and we all know they're screwed <laughs> well with that i think we should talk about maybe an emerging platform right Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a conversation about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I write the Rebooting newsletter and host the Rebooting podcast. Each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. For a company that likely generates a little over $20 million in revenue annually, Substack gets outsized attention. It has become synonymous with email newsletters, a bright spot in the publishing landscape, and in my view, a reaction against the mistakes of the scale era. Both Troy and I publish on Substack, which to our chagrin leads us to being labeled as Substackers. This is a lot like how Blogger was used as a pejorative, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. Now on the surface, 
Substack is just another publishing tool. I mean, it is a basic content management system with an email service provider bundled in and a Stripe integration. But it's become much more. Substack, which was valued at $650 million in its last funding round, has bigger ambitions than being an alternative to MailChimp or ExactTarget. Substack wants to be a platform. Substack's founders recently unveiled a slogan that it aspires to be an economic engine of culture. One of the things I noticed in this post is that they did not mention email or newsletters, not once, not one time. And that's because the path Substack sees in front of us is to be more like YouTube, which has probably done the best of all the platforms in building a lucrative media network that cuts in creators the most reasonably. Lots of creators have built large businesses on YouTube, thanks to the revenue sharing on ad deals. Substack sees similar opportunities, but it is squarely positioned to catch the prevailing wind of subscriptions that's blowing through publishing. Much to Alex's delight, because he's positioned himself on this podcast as being anti-advertising. And on this, I should hasten to add, I part ways on Alex because I love selling and running tasteful and impactful sponsorship integrations. And you should definitely get in touch with me if you want to discuss this more. But back to Substack. Publishing on a platform is a risky proposition, as we have seen repeatedly over the last decade. What platforms give, platforms can just as easily take away. A crucial difference with Substack is the leverage on the publisher side with the distribution list being portable. Now that said, Substack is definitely set up to be a new bundler of independent publications, and that means a trade-off. And to me, that trade-off is you have to give up a measure of independence and control. And in return, the upside is you don't have to worry about being a general contractor of different tech integrations, and you get to benefit from the emerging network effects that all successful platforms generate. This week, we discuss why Substack matters and the calculus of building on someone else's platform. If you have feedback to this episode, please send me an email at brian at therebooting.com. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I want to thank this week, Rich LF. I think it's Rich LF. It could be Rich Ulf, but I think it's Rich LF, who wrote on Apple that, quote, the trio of Troy, Brian, and Alex host a provocative podcast delving into the future of media content and advertising. It reminds me of being at a startup with smart people who debate where things are going. Thank you very much for that, Rich. And that is definitely the vibe we are going for. So now on to the conversation. Yeah, let's talk about Substack. And I know this is, well, this is a podcast about Substacks. So that's fine. It's better than Substacks about Substack. But I think Substacks actually a, a consequential company at this point, at this juncture of the media, the weird media world that's collapsing around it. I just want to say for the record that I don't mean to be doom and gloom because I think there's just so much exciting happening in our world. As a media consumer, there's certainly no shortage of stuff that I love and want to consume and even want to make. I love making this podcast with you guys and I like writing a newsletter now and then. Substack is consequential. Consequential, I think. It certainly has taken up a, a good chunk of my media time. But I want to talk about it as a continuation of our discussion last week around bundling, because I think that it's pretty clear that Substack is going to become a new bundler. A lot of times there's a lot of sunk costs in the previous platforms. But I know for myself, like I was always thinking, is Substack a tool or is it a platform? And now it's becoming very clear it's a platform. And it has come out just this weekend, or maybe it was Friday, Hamish McKenzie, one of the founders, explicitly compared it to YouTube. And it's basically saying that they want to be a new YouTube. They're not going to be MailChimp, and they're not going to compete on being a, an efficient ESP, clearly. I want to talk about what that means for them to be What's an ESP for the audience? Oh, sorry. An email service provider. A basic tool to send out email. This is what MailChimp has built its business on. And generally, if you're on Substack, you're trading, rolling your own ESP and connecting it to Stripe for 
for being on a platform. They handle all of that. You don't have to do any of the tech heavy lifting or it's not even heavy lifting, light lifting yourself. And the difference of previous platforms is you quote unquote own the customer relationship and that you can take your subscribers and followers and customers and you can take them with you if you decide to leave the platform, which mm -hmm. I think changes the leverage a little bit. But why don't you just start with Troy with, give me your sort of 30,000 foot evaluation of Substack as both a consumer and a producer. As a creator of content that doesn't, when I'm not fixated on sort of any type of direct or even moderately indirect monetization, it's kind of remarkable because the content creation tools are intuitive and reasonably good. You can import your email list and you're ready to go. It has basic analytics. It seems to send out emails reliably. I like its simplicity. And then I think that as they've added features, whether that was integrated podcasting or chat or recommendations, which are kind of manual, not algorithmic direct recommendations, so I can list the other newsletters that I like and want to promote, to how they've started to build in this kind of encouragement to monetize by getting people to offer to subscribe even if you don't have monetization in place already to how easy it makes a subscription mechanism for those that cho choose to do that it's pretty cool couple things about it i was a little annoyed when they launched the app because i didn't want it to be a bundler where i was forced to i liked that it was email and the independence and openness of email and i was a bit concerned that it was going to try to be a kind of aggregator and kind of old school sense or bundler but i really like the app personally I use it a lot. I think what I like most about it from a consumer perspective is just the incredibly good content, people that really have something to say, an uh, informality to how the content's created. There's a, just a diversity of points of view. When I think about the time I spend between, say, a Twitter, an FT, a Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you know, other sundry properties on the open web like The Verge or something else like that or The Atlantic or something, I find I'm spending a lot more time on it. There are at least a dozen people that are a meaningful part of my media consumption via the platform. It's important to how I uh, move through the world. I like it a lot. So I think a lot of people fixate on Substack's a fairly modest size business. Most estimates are around 20 million, let's say 20 to 25 million dollars in revenue. Not the total amount of revenue generated, but 90% goes to the publisher or the creator. Substack announced that it has 20 million monthly active subscribers now, 2 million paid subscriptions mm -hmm. to writers. That's not paid subscribers because people have multiple subscriptions. They're saying that they want to be a new economic engine for culture. It's a highfalutin concept, much more so than we want to be an ESP. Alex, talk a little bit about what it means to actually be a platform, because I think a lot of times platform has been thrown around a lot. I mean, even the agencies have claimed that like their ad campaigns nowadays are platforms. But there are specific things, I mean, that you have to do as a platform and you have to serve a bunch of different economic needs and constituencies. I don't know how I would define a platform. I think it can take up many different forms. And in this case, I think as a creator platform, it needs to provide creation tools and distribution tools. At that stage, it becomes a platform. If you just have a template that manages a newsletter and a recipient list and then sends a weekly newsletter, I think it's harder to call that a platform. But I think the second they started having a pretty decent website and a pretty decent app that collects all of these creators into a single space, to me, it felt much more like a platform. But I wouldn't know what exactly what the definition is exactly. Anything can be called a platform. But I think it, well, it did change the way I saw them. If you're going to be a platform, you have to provide the tools of creation, yes. You need to have mechanisms for distribution yeah. built in. And then there's the M word that yeah. I am 
personally very into, which is monetization. You right. need to provide a pathway for these people to monetize on your platform. Well, they've sidestepped the ad stack completely. Yeah. There's no connection to the old world of digital advertising whatsoever. Yeah. Which is interesting because we keep mentioning, and I think every time somebody talks about Substack, they remind everyone that it's still a small business. But I think its business is not relative to its influence. The amount of news that is being broken on Substack, whether it's Platformer or with all the Elon stuff or some of these other ones, that influence is huge. And a lot of it is available for free, at least to some extent. My guess is that the reach is actually pretty big and it could be a business that has a similar influence to Twitter at some point. Uh Uh-oh, they're not going to like that. That's why they went for YouTube as the comparison. Mm -hmm. YouTube's much more lucrative. Well, I think they want the comparison with YouTube as well because YouTube is seen as a platform that pays kind of the gold standard in paying creators, even though it's very hard to make money. Yeah. Going back in the sort of history, I can remember the early days of YouTube where it was regularly dismissed for that. Remember that dog on the skateboard? I met that dog, by the way. Yeah? Yeah, at a Mashable, RIP Mashable. Actually, Mashable's still alive. At a Mashable event. I met Grumpy Cat. I met Grumpy Cat, too. We did a story about Grumpy Cat. Sad. It is. Grumpy Cat had feline dwarfism. Yeah. um, Yeah. Struggled. This this episode is a dark side to fame. Jeez. We actually did a great story on the uh, Grumpy Cat as a brand. My executive editor gave it a great headline. It was brand perfection. And I don't usually like puns. Anyway, but I can remember the early days. YouTube was dismissed in some ways before the Google purchase and even the Google purchase. And Mark Cuban famously said it was like the worst acquisition ever. He didn't get it at all no. because the business was tiny. Well, he also had an extra could... grind because the broadcast.com Broadcast.com. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's fine. He's got the Mavericks. He's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there is some sort of similarities. I think the question ends up being for Substack, at least me, to put it on as a publisher. I don't like the idea of them getting between, I don't want to be a Substacker and I don't want to be trading that. You always have to give up some amount of independence when you throw your lot in with a platform. And I think there are some guardrails in place with being able to easily divorce from Substack and roll your own stack or move to Beehive or some other convert kit plus. Not a small thing, I would add. What isn't a smart, small thing? That you you can take your list and do whatever you want with it. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, and, you and mentioned it. I'm just saying that it's a defining, in addition to the founders seemingly being very sensitive to the needs of the community that use it, being able to take your list and go somewhere is pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of interoperability that was lacking. And Web 2.0. I mean, it feels a little bit like podcasting where you can move your feet around. The thing that's missing a little bit is that currently, it's funny because you guys are both talking as creators on the platform and how you appreciate having that control and you don't want the app to become a central place. But as a user, the only reason I'm using Substack right now is because there's a great app. It will read out Troy's extensive posts that he, that he publishes. Yeah. The only way I would read right now is through the yeah, Substack yeah. Thanks, app. Thanks for the show. Out, Alex. Yeah. I mean, they're really good, Troy. I know. So, yeah. They are. The post. last one was really good. Yeah. I mean, it's like good for 14 next minute, media 14 yeah. minute read. You got to be like in it to win it. I got to tell you, my, the post this week was brief and punchy. I thought respectful of your time, Alex. Oh, it's no, very an much. 11 yeah. minute read. Yeah, I just don't have any attention. Yeah, so. Brian was complaining earlier in the week about TLDRs, which I did try once or twice. And I think they're kind of lame. If you don't want to read a couple paragraphs, then don't read the newsletter. Although I do think like this is a little bit of an aside, but subs 
Substack, I think we're reaching the end point of the essay. Yeah. I think everything got too long on Substack and a lot of it was pattern matching with, I blame Ben Thompson, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then it became like a, it's a normal thing for writers to go up to word count and when they see like 1,450 versus 783, they think that they did just about twice as much work with 1,480. Especially when they add three or four references to things that they've written previously. True. And also, I wonder how access to new AI tools is going to make incentivize people to write shorter essays, because the second I see something that's longer than a five-minute read, I will send it to ChatGPT to munch up and create a short version of it. I think maybe we could be entering the age of brevity, where we just need to be more respectful of people's time. I think that is a massive issue, and people consume more media. It doesn't have to be TikTok, but a 15-minute read is a bit much. Yeah, I think with all of this AI stuff, obviously it's going to change a lot when it comes to the content creation and just the content economy. I think Substack is really well positioned. And the reason I think so is because they've built it around individuals to a large degree. And what I've noticed is even with subscriptions, I don't charge for subscriptions right now, but I think that was ended up being a mistake because I thought you had to build like the top of the funnel, just my previous experience informed it. But there are somewhat different dynamics in Substack. And I think that's what that pledges feature that they get, which is basically that even if someone doesn't have paid subscriptions turn on, you can pledge your support or something and yet your credit card gets charged when and if they Clever turn feature, on right? really smart. And it's a good, yeah, it's a good nudging tool because if you don't charge people on Substack, you're just a cost center for Substack. They want you to charge people. But I do think that building it around individuals will end up benefiting it quite a bit because the dynamics are different with individuals. At can the you imagine if you could take any of your other social feeds and just grab the file in an equivalent way to taking your email list off Substack and just move it somewhere else? If you could take all your junk from Instagram or Facebook and just put it somewhere else, the world would be a different place. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to like just dump my, but they're totally different contexts. Like maybe dump your Instagram followers into LinkedIn. Yeah. The thing with Instagram is obviously it's a format, so it makes it more complicated, but yeah, be cool. That's what's being proposed as social media regulations with interoperability and all that type of stuff. I think that was a big word for you. Yeah. It was blah, 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 blah. Here's the challenge and maybe where there you could clearly see a place at a time where so many people use Substack, the app to read your article that moving to another platform would seriously cut your audience down. Great point. That's one of the reasons that the app annoyed me. I thought the virtue of the medium was that it went into your email box that wasn't owned by anybody. And tying it to the app made it feel like there was an additional bit of control taken away from you. So anytime Substack's founders post one of their periodic letters or whatever, I do a control F and I put email in and then I put newsletter in. The last time zero for both. I don't understand what that means. What do you mean? I mean I do control left find how many times did they mention email oh. and how many times did they mention newsletter zero mm. yeah so they just posted their latest manifesto about being an economic engine for culture they didn't say email they didn't say newsletter and that's why they're clearly going in purely in a platform perspective they already have podcasts they'll they're testing video i think ultimately that's fine like i think that people have to make decisions if what is important to you is having that truly direct connection that you fully own because you do not fully own it with substack i know they say that you do, but they regularly email people that have subscribed to my newsletter without my consent all the time. That sucks. When do they do that? Someone told me that. Well, no, they do it with recommendations. Hey, you, we see that you read the rebooting. Maybe you should read these other things. No, keep away from my people. But don't you find that they're bringing some value by bringing an audience over to you, Troy? A hundred. Oh, sorry. Or well, Brian, sorry. <laughs> 
I mean, Troy just seems to be more negative around it. So that's, that's I know. This is like, why am I the optimist? Good question. Because you're jet lag, Troy? Yeah. Why? Have another Heineken. <laughs> What's the question, Alex? Is it that... I understand the benefits of owning your own list and yeah. uh, feeling somewhat threatened by the app. You know, at some point, the platform offers up an element of growth, managing all the kind of transactional stuff that is worth it. And you're like, fuck it. I don't want to host my own videos. YouTube is fine. Nobody thinks about hosting their own videos nowadays, unless you're a streamer. Yes, I just want it all, Alex. Yeah, I very much appreciate it. It's a free service and they can do what they want because it's a free service and I can elect to manage my email in another way. I just don't want them to. It's like the first time I pressed that chat button on there, a bunch of people told me they got an email from me that I, that was oh, yeah. me inviting them to chat. And it's just not what I wanted. My gig is low frequency, quality, weekly email. And I don't want people getting a bunch of emails from me. That's just not my jam. Problem is they probably hired some growth product managers and that means you got to be ready for all that type of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I will say this. So Mario Gabrielli, I don't know how to pronounce Mario's last name. He was one of the why I'm leaving Substack in 2021. And now we're getting the why I'm coming back to Substack and it's all cyclical. And basically his rationale is, you know, Substack went through a period where, in my view, they were not focused on the product. They were focused on a lot of the growth of the brand. They were cutting checks to big individuals, not literally physically big, but that did a lot of like political fighting. And they took their eye off the ball on the product side because the product is good, but it's not great. And they weren't shipping enough features. And in the last year, they've shipped a lot of stuff. And whether it is chat, I think chat is, eh, I don't really like it personally. I tried it. I thought, oh, this could be a really good community feature. I think it's not there yet. I, I can't figure it out. And I don't don't see others doing it. It's one of those things people try it a bunch of times, but then they don't stick with it. Mm. Recommendations is the home run. That's the lock-in. I have 14,300 or something subscribers. 6,000 have come from recommendations. Lord. That's cool. And this is the strange thing of the, the Substack economy. So there's a guy who does the, it's called the Pragmatic Engineer, Gurgly. Mm. And he's got, I don't know, 200,000 something subscribers. He recommends Alex Kantrowitz, who writes big technology. Okay. So Alex gets a bunch of subscribers in that. And Alex then recommends <laughs> the rebooting. And so I get like a, a smaller subset of that. And then I recommend people versus algorithm. Woohoo. Yeah. I think you gave yeah. me. Yeah. like 250 subs or something. No, maybe more. Six, 500. It's like 650. I checked it before. Oh, I love that you so. know this. Yeah, and only 300 to come back my way. Well, I mean, you started with a big list. You're like an editor guy. I'm just like, come on. <laughs> yeah, Listen. you're like a personage. The product just seems really good for me as a reader. It creates a nice website. Doesn't let you go too crazy with it. I think it's great. It just lets me read stuff. It's got that app that reads the articles for me. That's great. There's also an RSS feed that's created for it. So you you can use your own reader. Alex, you're going to be like the last person using yeah. RSS, aren't you? You and Dave Weiner. I mean, if you want interoperability. He invented it. Interoperability, <laughs> it's RSS, man. It's a great standard. I think you could actually make a case that digital media went downhill once RSS failed. And it did fail. The first victim of Substack's success is for sure Medium. It's oh, worth yeah, contrasting sure. those two yeah. platforms. Yeah. Because Medium was elegant and it tried to roll individual contributions 
distribution into a kind of broader product to try to create simple subscription mechanisms. But if you're starting out and you want to write stuff now, I just noticed more and more people are moving to Substack. And obviously the premise is slightly different than Medium. It's not kind of a community blogging platform. It's an email platform, first and foremost. That small difference seems to have given it a lot of fuel. I think that Medium faces a very uncertain future. Is that a euphemism? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you gave me shit last week for, for being... Is that like brusque? Is that like when we called you brusque? In a... Oh, no, I've changed, Brian. I'm very soft now. <laughs> you call me soft scrub. I'm very fond of Medium. And I remember in the early days, before I joined Airbnb, I was actually talking to them about joining them. Well, there's a good decision you made, Alex. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the decision was entirely mine. Well, I don't think it also came with it. It turns out it came with a family office. Yeah, I would have been like, Alex, can you pass the banana and come for plus? <laughs> hey, Troy tr- tr- knows I don't make financial decisions. I make emotional decisions. But I had a great, great dinner with Ev Williams, who founded it, and they were building a team and they cared about writing and design. And if you look at what they've been trying to do, it was very similar to Substack and ahead. It, did Substack only win because they said, oh, well, we'll drop it in your in- inbox? Is that it? That was just a simple yeah. proposition? I think that's that's it, nuts. Man. Distribution always wins. Distribution always wins. Doesn't but everybody it? felt I mean, like, like email was a broken distribution medium because it was just filled with junk. Really? Who's everyone? People in Silicon Valley? Guess what every single platform put into their growth immediately? Email. Yeah, but every isn't, single isn't platform that because every, depended not, on email. Because there's nothing left. That's the last open platform. Yeah, but isn't that an, an aspect of Silicon Valley just always being like what's cool and what's not? And rather than huh. what's so you useful, think like everyone was into apps and meanwhile, like if you were in B2B publishing, you always talked about email. From the start, it never was anything other than email. Because you can tweet until the cows come home and nobody's gonna do shit. But if you send out an email, stuff happens. People buy stuff. Am I wrong to think that email has had a resurgence in the last five years? I think it's had a rediscovery among certain groups groups of people, but there's been a large group of people who never know retailers. Retailers know this all the time. Email drives action. It's always driven action. It is a push medium, not a pull. So and is it fair to it say that people finally powerful. got the email? Maybe. <laughs> but but hang on, I think maybe a couple, a few things changed, and I wonder if that helped. Okay, rediscovery, getting too excited about new stuff, sure. But I also wonder if it's a double whammy of email clients getting much better at pulling out spam from valid newsletters. And then on the other side, all of these other platforms feeling very closed down. And then with GDPR and all that stuff, you would no longer be able to target your own customers. And email was the last bastion. Like RSS feeds, nobody cares about them. So email is kind of the last little nugget that you can own. Is that why? Yeah, everyone's looking for the new great thing and it was going to be apps and all this. No, it's going to be video on platforms. Because email has always always worked and it's, it's the always, vinyl of it's media it's been boring <laughs> It is. It's just... You know what I think? I want to ask you guys a question about this because all this talk about Substacks got me thinking about their future. You could imagine if you just kind of close your eyes and imagine a world where Substack is five times more dominant in terms of shaping the cultural discussion as they are today. They have ex-presidents and important cultural figures and thought leaders and academics and everything using the platform. They've added video so that that has become a bigger part of the 
the communication palette. People started getting used to consuming audio in there as well. Maybe they find a way to get short form in somehow. I don't like which is kind of maybe that's not really an accurate way to frame the what chat is there. But like Brian said, I think you have a really interesting global platform for people with ideas that want to communicate them really easily and a platform that has sidestepped the clutter and nonsense of the open webs ad bullshit ecosystem. And, right. and so you that's what you got. The problem with it, and listen, even if it was a $100 million business in that world, which is their take on their overall GMV of the enormous subscription kind of footprint that they oversee, it's still, relatively speaking, a small business. But, you know, because it's a platform business where they have really no meaningful content costs, could be a very profitable $100 million business. Is that enough for them? Is that enough for their VC funders? Is that an accurate way to think of the future of this platform? Or does it does it need to be or want to be more than that? Well, I think that's the scary part, right? Is that their round was, the last round that they closed was that I think a $674 million valuation. Andreessen Horowitz is their main backer. They tried to raise a billion dollar and a billion dollar round and they didn't get takers and so they cut 14%, which mm. I think actually was good for them because I noticed that since then they actually have become way more focused on the product and less about the other stuff. And so weirdly, they didn't get the money, but they actually have improved the product to me more so since they didn't get the funding. I think what is going to be interesting is their current model cannot get them to their ambition. So for me, like being on the platform, leave aside as a consumer, I wonder how are they going to make up? How are they going to build this into that kind of business that is a $674 million valuation? And the only way that they're going to do that is by bundling. They're going to end up having to bundle subscriptions. I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe you guys have an idea, but they have to do that. That's right. So that I could subscribe to 10 authors for 19 bucks a month and I could mm. pick and choose them, add and drop them, at which point I think that there's a meaningful revenue stream there, particularly as video becomes more important part of the platform. Some sort of distribution based on reads for the different writers? It's going to be something because like the model has such a flaw in it in that there's going to be outliers, but like most people will convert five and 10%, between five and 10% of their audience. That leaves an unmonetized 90 to 95% of the audience. Now, I don't know how ideological you would have to be to be like, no, I'm not going to make money off 95% of the audience. That is ridiculous. It doesn't but the pressure, make sense. it's really difficult though, because if you look at the, the top newsletters, there's a few of them that are have thousands of readers and are charging like $15, $12 a month. I think it's going to be really hard to get those folks that are making oftentimes one or two people and making two, $300,000 a month to move to their bundle, number one. Number two, all the people that are doing this as a free newsletter probably don't want to be behind a bundle. They want to remain free because they're doing it for reach or audience or whatever. So how do you convert that? It's going to be a very hard transition. My guess is would be that all these big players might want to just drop out if that's the way it goes. Because nobody wants to end up in a place where it's Spotify and they make sense on, on the dollars that they used to make direct. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But I think Substack's big problem is not with their biggest creators. I mean, they have to do a different thing. They have to cut different deals probably. Econ the economics should be different because it's one thing to give 10% away if you're generating $100,000. If you're generating a million dollars and you're cutting a $100,000 check for handling subscriptions, then you might be like, okay, well, I'm not sure if 
if I'm getting as much out of this platform. I think you'd see in those situations that it's 10% to a max. But imagine other revenue streams, though, too. Imagine if you could, in addition to the, the bundling mechanism that would probably help out a lot of people that they had a Shopify integration, which isn't too hard to fathom, so that you could find ways to bring products easily into your newsletter flow. And it wasn't crappy banners or something that were inserted. It was relevant product recommendations that you made between 10 and 20% off of, and they took a cut of that and they created a marketplace around it. It's not hard to see that become a meaningful revenue stream. I wonder if they get video in there meaningfully, whether they would object to having some kind of pre-roll mechanism around video. There you go, trying to fit ads into stuff. I love Substack in part because... It looks like it's that post-ad future that I talk about. I run ads. I know. I know. It's a, <laughs> what did it's, you call them? Modest, tasteful? What do we call them? <laughs> it's, a, it's a point of contention. But I think we'll, we'll run ads at some point. But but feel like I just want to break to cut to a read here for the brawn. Uh, men's shaver. <laughs> I'll just turn it on. There's nothing wrong with ads. Best shaver on the market. Nice. Thank you for that. Yeah. As long as the ads are not intrusive. I go back and forth to this about whether Substack will cave. I make a regular joke that the first step to running ads is to say you'll never run ads because usually that that has turned out to be true in the long history. Right, turned out true with uh, with Netflix. Yeah, everyone does that. It, it's one of those things that you kind of wish there were still small businesses or the space for small businesses and that they ran something like Substack Lean and they didn't outgrow the core of what they can do well and continued there. They could be a, a platform of huge influence that provides a service. My theory is that scale ruins everything. Well, let me, yeah. let me ask another future-oriented question just because I hear what you're saying, Alex, around not liking to read or not being able to read. And <laughs> What's that, Alex is illiterate? What is no, this? No, no. That's, that's where this is going. <laughs> I think it's it's uh, it's an ESL. He just doesn't like ads. It's a, yeah. And Brian, you suggested earlier in the episode that that the essay is a dying format. Just as I learned, I guess I kind of write an essay. Is that what I do? Said an essay. Anyway, yeah, and I've heard from lots of my friends, and it really bothers me when smart people I know are like, "Oh, it's just so much work to read your newsletter," which either means I I need to find better flow, or it's probably not efficient enough, or they just don't give a fuck what I have to say, or they're not interested, which is fine. But I wonder if Substack will endeavor to create a new format that potentially is still email driven, but endeavors to shorten or break up the post in a way that they control. In other words, Twitter is just a format that, well, Twitter, if you imagine them trying to create a, a feed of content that was shorter than email and delivered inside of their app, can you imagine a future where they enforce or create a format that offers shorter, briefer, maybe more visual content for consumers? Yes, I could. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I think it is? They have a very, not very well executed thing that I want to try. I want to try it with you, actually. It's this letters thing where it's actually people, I think they're basically redoing the promise of the blogosphere. That word just seems so old. Part of that was the. Do was people the ever call you a blogger? Aspects. Do you like it when if I uh, call you a blogger? I hate it. I hate it. It's better than Substacker. Oh, Substacker sounds nice. Really? I well, it's it better than blogger. Awful. If you're a blogger, it makes me feel like you, I don't know, you 
run a knitting circle or something. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Well, it was pejorative for a long time to be dismissed as a blogger. Although, as an aside, have you checked out all these Russian war bloggers? There's an entire cadre of war bloggers. They want more war, not less war. They're very pro-war, but they're very influential in Russia. And I was like, what, what were these war bloggers doing before the invasion? Are they just like hanging out, waiting, waiting to war block? There's always somebody hanging out for kind of wishing that shit goes Wait. down. They might have been like a Call of Duty bloggers or something. Yeah, I don't know. They just got repurposed. But I think I can see them coming up with a format that's very mobile first. That is, I semi joke around that I think a great piece of media. It's not perfectly executed. Is the text thread that we do that actually precedes this podcast. I think that they could do something where you have basically people on the platform who are having a conversation that people subscribe to. Is reading a conversation fun, though? Isn't it true, Troy, that interviews don't do that well? Yeah, they're a tough format. I mean, some people can can execute them really well, but they are hard. I and mean, they're kind of boring. Like the classic magazine interview format, cover story format, is really typically really boring. Yeah, I think our text thread, but there's a lot of, it's you know, insider stuff. Format. It's, it's, are we frustrated? Yeah, bro? but you know what? You know what? Like when I wake up in the morning, and you guys are up a little bit earlier than I am, and I wake up in the morning, and there's 47 messages of two men rambling about media, <laughs> and I just it's gonna be a good. That's a great brand. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna take. I that. would love to wake two up to that. Like you guys are like the guys in the Muppets. Two white like, men, two complaining <laughs> middle-aged white men ramble like, without me. Uh, there should be more <laughs> ads. Why is there so? I want more ads in the world. Ads are great. That's how it no, goes. We've never said that, Alex. Don't try to yeah. push us into that corner. I miss. I miss pop-ups. <laughs> that's what you. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, another good. That's another good brand. Yeah, can we I, do a pre-roll? Brian is an excellent texter. <laughs> Very good. He's Very funny good. and he likes to kind of categorize things and make these bold. He's gestural or not gestural. Mm -hmm. He just he's good at the pastoral. He's good at the aphorism. Yes, absolutely. That is true. I'll give him that. Okay, so that that's not a good format. Then what's the new format? The I'm the telling you, Substack Pioneer. All right, here's the thing. I would pay for. I pay for one subscription. I never read the long emails. I don't even need. I don't. No, I mean if. If I want to read like platform. Have you ever read Brian's email to rebooting before? Have you ever read it? I, 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 I read it. I read it. It's good. You read it once? I, no, but I mean, I listen to it, guys. I just listen to everything. Just listening. Wait, does the Substack like reads to you? Yeah, yeah. It's an AI voice. It's great in the app. It's not great, uh, actually. Reading is, is actually pleasurable, Alex, if you practice it for a while. Yeah. I mean, so is. Yeah, you learn new words. Yeah, so is making your own coffee. I don't do it all the time. I do think that I would pay for a digest that, let's say, they sign up platformers and stuff like that, where they don't just give the full newsletter, but they give you a digest every day. I'd pay five bucks a month for that. Just give me a digest of all these people I follow on, on Substack, compile it into a nice thing, read it out with a really nice AI voice. You know, I'd rather not be part of your digest. I'd like really? to be... Uh, well, I want more love from you. I want more intimacy. Yeah, but it's like, you're like people that say, oh, my movies are only for the cinema. Streamers are not allowed to use it. It's not where we are anymore. Brian, what do you think about Alex's reluctance to read? Well, I think he's being a little bit of a hypocrite because I remember when I complained about how everything was dark in Game of Thrones, you were telling me about how the makers have these craft and artistic 
desires for it to be like on a big screen, like it's on my TV. I can't see anything that's going on. So why can they like make it? Why can't Troy make his 17 minute read? I don't think I was pro that. I thought they were taking the piss. I was just saying that's why this stuff happens. You know what? I was a little worried about the Substack episode. <laughs> <laughs> Are you more worried now? No, actually something else happened, which just suggests to me that I need to chill out about things. If you just kind of ponder one thing and discuss one thing for a little bit, you can kind of start to understand it better and have a good conversation about it. You don't have to like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, make a fact, talk about the future of media. You can just kind of have a discussion about something. It's nice. Yeah. Exploration, not explanation. That's my tagline mm. I stole from someone. <laughs> yeah. This should be an interesting episode. Do we have more on Substack? Can we put a bow on that as I like to say, Brian? Okay. Let's finish up on this on this Substack before we get into good product. I guess let's do an evaluation. Do they have a shot at being a meaningful company in whatever is coming next. I feel like it's going to be, and and it's just like mostly on gut vibe. What would the crossover moment be? In my gut is yes, it will be. I think there's moments where you see like people in your lives are using, certainly not just subscribing to the odd email, but using the app. The word Substack becomes a bigger part of culture and media conversation. Your kids use it. I think it'll remain, a, particularly if it's text-based service and email-led, it'll be a, a service that caters to older people and people that are into the written word. And too much of our culture broadly is about short, snappy, video-driven communications. And yeah, I think Substack can occupy a niche, but it's not going to be mass the same way TikTok is mass. I mean, it doesn't, no. need, it doesn't need to be, right? I, I, I hope think... it's not going to be mass. But that's different. I don't mean you don't have to be mass to be like influential and important. But isn't it already influential and important? Mm -hmm. I mean, somewhat, but not really, I don't think. No, I mean, in some circles, but I don't think it's broadly no, not yet. important. Well, I don't think it will be unless it does a lot of the things that you guys don't want it to. Like what? Well, I think that if it remains a tool, to me, like the way I define yeah. a tool here is something that's neutral. You can move, you can upgrade, you can kind of jump around. MailChimp. MailChimp, yeah. I can move from MailChimp to the other whatever. Target. Exactly. It needs to sell to the enterprise because that's their lock-in, because enterprise customers don't switch around but this is very much like in a product for individual writers connecting with individual readers and that means that neither of those cohorts are particularly loyal unless there's some sort of hook unless the platform has such a flywheel effect that it brings you a ton of audience cost that you pay is mitigated by how much money you make on it and but so like, what is the lock-in with shopify why do merchants stay on shopify because to me shopify and substack are kind of similar in some ways. I mean, Shopify... It's an investment, though. No, it's an investment. We're going to arm the rebels. Yeah, but like Shopify makes... We could set up the people versus algorithm store after the show and have it live at the end of the day. I mean, that's amazing. That, try it out on Mercado. Not going to happen. Right, it's easier. Then that's like a user interface. Shopify has the e-commerce stack is much more complicated than the stack that Substack offers. The cost of switching is much lower, something like Substack, than Shopify. And Shopify is just a good product and they are constantly improving it. Shopify is probably a, a larger product and they have a large enterprise customer base, I would think. Like all that stuff has, has higher switching costs than something like Substack. Yeah. For sure. I think they need to do the stuff you guys don't want them to do. 
and they need to do them in a way that makes it so inherently hard to switch or costly or painful that you don't. Otherwise, somebody could build up even an app that will just subscribe to all your Substack feeds and load it up and do all sorts of different features on it. That's not Well, you should do that because it's totally possible. You can run AI on it and summarize it, get the counterpoint, all that kind of stuff. That's the middle layer that contextualizes text content that you don't like to read, Alex, is going to emerge very quickly. Every modern quote-unquote share this of the world is going to put try to put buttons around content to give you what you want. Oh yeah, I mean the convenience of a share tool that just gives you a bite-sized version of what you're about to click into is going to be hugely disruptive to all this stuff. So my guess is that they're starting to think about moats and they're trying to think about how to do it uh, within a framework that doesn't alienate the biggest creators. However, yeah. I, I, the, the issue is that $600 million valuation... It's not that much. That's easy to get through. Really? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, depending on the growth rate and if they can run a, a business... How much would they need to make to be valued at $600 million? Well, again, again... And remember, everyone wants to make money... It depends on the growth rate, but let's say they were making... $25 million of profit on $50 million in revenue, you could get to that pretty quick. I wrote about this kind of new emerging middle powered by AI in the People versus Algorithms newsletter, which is available for free on Substack if you choose to read it. I would encourage all of you that haven't done so already to take a look and, and sign up for a free subscription. Or, or just listen to it as well. It works yeah. too. Also, if you get the chance, look at the Rebooting newsletter, which is also a very good product. Oh, thank you. Something I'd encourage you to read, written in a very conversational style by the one and only very smart and insightful journalist, editor, and longtime observer of the media industry, Brian Morrissey. Thank you. It comes with some tasteful advertising. <laughs> you guys are making me uh, feel like I want to write a sub stack now. Or have should a Heineken. I have well, a, well, yeah, well. a. Should we move this, this, this podcast? Have you gotten your brawn razor yet? Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> that could be anything, Troy. Okay, what does it mean moving your podcast to Substack? I see. I see. That's another thing I wanted to raise. What is podcasting on Substack mean? It's embedded into okay. the into the newsletter product, and you listen to it there. So when you send out the newsletter, everybody can listen to the podcast. It's a distribution mechanism for an, for a podcast. But it also is your podcast still available everywhere else? Yes, it replaces Captivate or mm. or an, another kind of podcast host. Yeah. All right, let's do good pro. We'll table that one. Is uh, that what they say? Put a pin in it. Table that. Put a parking lot. Given that I'm in France, I probably should say that I really love fresh baked crispy croissant or pain de chocolate, or even the power washer that sits next to my toilet. But I think that the product this week is something actually that my, my wife actually doesn't like them. She doesn't like that I use them because she thinks they're wasteful and landfill. And I, I'm not sure I know what the exact name is. It's the dental floss thing that... Oh, I hate that. You know, the ones... They're on the, the, the plastic ones. What are they called? Uh, they're like dental floss sticks. Yeah, yeah, the ones that have the hook on them that you use. Yeah, so they all, they like gum makes them. I find it's the only way I ever floss my teeth. You know what's interesting? Just a quick little anecdote. While you guys were talking, I thought I would look it up. And because I'm in France, it returns all these French websites. The first search response for this type of plastic dental, let's call it a flosser, was from Shine, the uh, venerable, huge e-commerce brand that sell flossers in France. A bag of them for $1.75, 50 pieces. That's kind of a 
amazing that they have that skew. Well, the one thing I like about flossers, I know it's a bit of plastic that the world doesn't need, but I find that it really is the only way I ever floss my teeth. I am with you, Troy, but did you know that you could get eco-friendly ones that are made with biodegradable materials? So we'll link that in the show notes because I don't want to be part of this <laughs> kind of plastic pollution thing. And they're mint flavored in case you want them. They're called natural dental floss picks on Amazon. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, there you goes, go. and that would there be a go. great compromise with Joe. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're here for. Should we leave it there so Troy can get his steak tartare? Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. We hope to continue the conversation with you next week. Oh, last night I had dinner with a guy from India who I ordered steak tartare, and he thought that was a good idea too. Where did he think it, it was? Tartare was, was a seasoning. He found it quite off-putting that it wasn't cooked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah, sure. Anyway. Stick yes. All right. All right. All right. Thanks for Okay. Bye, guys. Bye.